0: If you would pray with me, and then we're going to spend time looking at that together, but let's pray first. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, uh, to be gathered in your name. We thank you for this place that you've provided. We thank you that you have given us your word that tells us uh, of who you are and the ways that you are working and what it means for us. And so as we consider today the way that you meet us in the midst of suffering and difficult seasons, we pray that you would come and show us your glory more fully. Uh, As we open your word, we confess each week that we can't do any of this without you, that we need you to be the one that teaches and leads and guides us. And so we ask that you would do just that. We pray that the Spirit would move in this place, that you would take the eternal truth of your word, that you would show us who you are, that you would remind us of your wonderful promises, that you would give us the confident assurance that comes from understanding who you are and what you've done and what you're doing. And what you're going to ultimately do and so we pray that we would see that afresh today that we would leave here encouraged uh, that we would be uh overflowing uh, with the glory and the joy that comes from knowing and loving you and we pray all of this in jesus name amen uh, i want to ask you to think about this question you don't have to answer it you don't have to raise your hand you don't have to make a signal or anything but i want you to think about uh, this question, and uh, just ponder with me together for a second. Um, if I were to ask you how many of you have gone through a, a difficult season um, in the last year, uh, what would your answer to be with that? And, and let me define that. Difficult season in that harder than usual. Maybe a, a part of life is just more difficult, maybe relationally, uh, maybe emotionally, spiritually. Maybe it's your health. Uh, maybe it's a combination of all those things, but you gone through a season in the last year that it was more difficult than usual? And I think if we asked that question and we were around and we did answer, there'd be quite a few of you that would say, yes, that pertains to me. Um, if I then backed up and said, well, how many of you is that is true? Same question over the last five years. How many of you would say, yes, there's been a difficult season or maybe two? And I think that number would go up. It might go from uh, some of us to most of us, if not all of us. If I went back 10 years and said how many in the last 10 years have gone through a difficult season, I think we'd probably get, be getting close to 100%. And we probably would be getting close to 100%, but then we also would have uh, multiple seasons, multiple times where that's been the case. We would say, yes, it was much harder in this way or that or in different seasons of our life. That's true. Some of you might even say to that question, well, it'd just be easier to answer when it's not been hard. It'd be easier to tell you the times that were good than the times that were difficult because they were few and far between. Because the truth is the longer you live and the more time you spend in this life and the things that come at you, you realize that there are difficult seasons. It's hard at different times. There's things that come at us that are really difficult and things that uh, we see in this life. And the Bible tells us this. It's not uh, a surprise when we read through scripture and we see it, it tells us uh, like in, in uh, say, Romans chapter eight, the creation is groaning under the weight of sin. It's talking about waiting for it to be freed from this and the final uh, Jesus's return and what that will be. Or I think of second Corinthians chapter four where the apostle Paul writes, our outer self is wasting away. And he's talking about us physically, like our bodies that we're in as we get older, that they start to kind of, there's an entropy built in because of sin in creation. And we feel that. Uh, I've heard a couple of people even say that to me lately. Getting old is hard and it's difficult and you feel it and you start to feel it physically and the things that we deal with. And so I think all of us know that to be true. There's no denying this truth that life is hard and there are difficult seasons that come at us. And so I start there and I remind you of that, not to not to be a downer this morning, but I remind you of that because as we go back into 1 Peter that we started just a couple of weeks ago, this is a letter that god has inspired as he inspired the apostle peter to write to encourage people that are suffering and the people that peter's writing to in the first century uh, they were have going through difficult seasons and there was great persecution on the church and hard things they're dealing with and peter writes to encourage them but as god has preserved his word and he's kept it for us this letter is written for you and it's written for us in the difficult seasons of our life, and to remind us of who God is and the way he's working and what is true about who he is and how good he is. And so today, as we kind of jump into really the meat of this letter, really the last couple of weeks, we were in the introduction. We spent two weeks in the first two verses because there's great, big, huge ideas in what Peter's saying even in his introduction. But today, we jump in and we get to this idea of he's encouraging us in the midst of our suffering. And what he's going to tell us is that there is a living hope that we find in Jesus that leads us to be able to face our suffering. And he's even going to go so far as to say that we can rejoice in the midst of our suffering because of this living hope. And you may hear that and think about, wait, wait, in it, like during it, we can rejoice. And it's yes, that's what he's saying during it that we can rejoice even in the midst of things being difficult. And the reason he's going to give us is the living hope that we have in Jesus is so glorious and it is so full and it is so powerful and it is so great that you can rejoice even in the midst of the most difficult times. And so you may say, well, how's that possible? <laughs> Sounds great, but it doesn't always feel that way. And that's true. There's times when that's difficult and that's hard. And so I want us to look at this passage together as we look at verses three through nine this morning. And the way I want us to go at it is we we think about how it is possible, how it is possible to have a fullness of joy even in the midst of difficult seasons. So the first thing I want us to consider is what is this living hope that he's talking about? What is it? What does that mean? How should we look at that as he tells us about this living hope? Then secondly, how does sorrow or trials or difficulties actually drive us deeper into it? That's what he's gonna say here. That actually the difficult times actually help us to dive deeper into the living hope that we have and find that joy even in the midst of those difficult things. And then lastly, I just want us to think about if maybe that's not your your experience right now, how do you activate that? How does that become the reality to you today even in the midst of difficult things if that's where you are today and so let's look at that together let's start with just this idea of a living hope and what it is and what he's saying here and so if you'd look again with me at verses 3 4 and 5 he says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to to be revealed in the last time. And so he says here, you've been born again, that God has caused you to be born again to a living hope. And as we start to think about what that means, what does it mean that, that we have this living hope? I want us to pause for just a second and say what it's not. Because sometimes, and I've talked about this the last couple of weeks, as we're working our way through a book of the Bible, specifically like this in First Peter, and we're looking at the words and we're looking at the connections and what it's saying, it's important that we don't import things that we think from today or our culture or even our language today and superimpose it on the Bible. And hope is one of those things, right? Hope is a word that we use in our culture today, but it doesn't mean exactly what it means here oftentimes. There's usually a disconnect between the way we use it today and what this is talking about. And I'll I'll explain to you why I say that. And so we need to think about this for just a second. Oftentimes we have a hope that is not a living hope that he's talking about here when we think about it today. And I'll, I'll tell you why. We talked about the last couple weeks, in last week in particular, that the Holy Spirit moves in your life and opens your eyes to see your need for who Jesus is. You've been sanctified or set apart to God in the Spirit, right? According to the foreknowledge of the Father. That's what we talked about the last couple of weeks. So God loved you before all time, before eternity passed. He said his affections on you use the Holy Spirit to come into your life and open your eyes. And so what we said last week is that you come to faith because the Spirit has opened your eyes to see Jesus. And it's a work of God on your life. Even your faith is a gift of God. And so he moves in your life and he brings you from life to death. But what we talked about last week is that you move from life to death. That before the Spirit moves in your life and opens your eyes to see Jesus, you are spiritually dead. And spiritually dead means that in our sinfulness, in our flesh, in this world that we're living in, we often see the created order is all there is. We ignore God and the world he created. And so what happens is we set our hope in created things. We, we set our happiness and our joy in the created rather than the creator, right? That's Romans 1. Professing to be Wise, they became fools and they worshiped the creation over the creator. And so you're setting your hope in things that are dying, that are temporal, right? Everything around us, our outer selves are wasting away. We see it in creation. There's entropy built into the creation now because of sin. And when we set our hope on the things of this world, they will ultimately not be able to satisfy the things that we're hoping they will do because they're all going away. They're all winding down. You're hitching your joy to a dying temporal thing that will ultimately fail when we do that. And we all do that at different times. We do it in all sorts of different ways. We put our hope in our job, in our house, in our kids, in our spouse. All good things, not bad things, but not things that can withhold the hope that we're putting in them. And so when we talk about hope today in our culture, we often think of it as this kind of wishy-washy thing, right? Like, I hope it works out. Uh, I hope my kids get into X college, I hope I get this promotion. I hope I get right. And what we mean is maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. I'm not sure, but I'm hoping it does. And so that's the way we often think about hope. But the definition of a biblical hope, a living hope that it's talking about here is something very different. That hope is not a temporal hope that may or may not work out. It's not a hope placed in things that are evaporating, that are going away. It's something far greater. And so when we start to look at what he's saying here, hope is now reframed in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Right? So look at what he says here. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I want you to think about what he's saying here, what he's calling us to, to place our hope in, that in Jesus, there is now offered to us a living hope that's eternal. It's not of this world. It's not dying. It's not decaying. It's not going away. It's a living hope. And you could even say it in that way, right? When we put our hope in the things of this world, we're really putting our hope in a dying hope. Right? Uh, I mean, you know that, right? I mean, we're, we're, all, sit, we're all dying. <laughs> we are all wasting away as we sit right now. We're, we're slowly moving towards that, all of us. And so when we put our hope in the created order, it's a dying hope. It's not a living hope. But what he says is that God has caused us to become alive. He's opened our eyes He's given us this living hope that comes to us through Jesus and the resurrection and his resurrection from the dead. And then he says to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. So it's a hope that he's calling us to that's not fading, that's not going away, that is not in temporal things. It's in the God of the universe and they are kept for you by his power. That's something totally different than the way we talk about hope. And so when you start to look at what he's calling us to and what he's telling us about is it's not temporal, but it's eternal. It's not dying, but it's living. It's not fading, but it's unfading. And he's telling us that we have this hope through Jesus. And the way he says it there in verse three is he says it comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I want you to think about why that's the case. All sin... All the struggles we face in the world, all the things that are decaying and falling apart and are the dying hope are because of the effects of sin in the world. And Jesus has now come and he's lived the life that we haven't lived. And he dies the death that we deserve as he goes to the cross. And he who knew knew no sin became sin on our behalf and he brings it to nothing. And then through his resurrection, God accepts his sacrifice on our behalf and there is a new way to live. There's a living hope that is eternal and it is perfect and it is kept for you because of what Jesus has done. And so he says here, we now have this living hope as God has caused us to become alive and it comes and we see it and it's purchased and kept for us by Jesus and what he's done, right? So he says right there, this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And I think that encapsulation of what he's saying includes Jesus' perfect life, His atoning death, his glorious resurrection, and he says it in that way because the resurrection is proof of that. It's the ends of it, that he's done it and he's finished it and it's true and it is kept for you. And so here's what I want you to see, the difference between the world's version of hope, this wishy-washy, I hope it works out, to a living hope that has now been purchased for us by Jesus. The biblical definition of hope is a confident assurance in what is to come because of who Jesus is and what he's done. It's not maybe it works out or maybe it doesn't. He says it is kept for you and it is certain and it is undefiled and it is unfading and it's by God's power and it's gonna happen. That's not a hope it works out. That's we can have a confident assurance in what is coming because of what Jesus has done. That's something very different than the way we talk about hope in our world. And I want you to think about there's a good difference there between a dying hope and a living hope. And so he says we've been saved into this living hope because of what Jesus has done for us. We have this confident assurance that is eternal because of Jesus. Now, here's the thing I want us to consider. How do struggles, trials, tribulations, difficult seasons help you grow in this? How can we rejoice in the midst of difficult times? How's he saying that? What How does that even make sense? Well, look at verse six and seven, what he says next. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so back up for just a second to verse six there been telling you it's important to to notice the connections and the words and what they're trying to get across and so when he says there in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials in this what is the this it's the living hope that he just told you about you have a living hope that is kept for you that is unfading that it's coming, that it's kept for you in God's power. God's caused you to see this living hope. In this, you put your faith in this living hope that Jesus has accomplished for you. Though now you go through trials, you're grieved by these various trials. He says it can result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says, even in the midst of those things, that because we have this living hope, we can rejoice through the trials. Again, I told you grammar matters. So the first week, historical grammatical method of Bible study. We care who was writing and who they're writing to and what the words mean and God inspired them, but it was a real person to real people. And so they were using the language to get across their point. And so when you look closely at what he says here, when he says in this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, the verb he uses for rejoice is present tense. He's not saying in this, when you get past it, then you can look back on it and rejoice. He's saying in this right now, you can rejoice through what's happening to you in your life. That you can have joy even when things are really, really difficult. And even in the midst of those hard seasons, you can rejoice through it. Presently in your trials. you go, How does that work? Sounds Masochistic hard things come and you go, yes, yay, hard things. Great. Is that what he's saying? No, he's not saying you rejoice in the suffering itself. And that's not to diminish your suffering. And let's be careful what we're not saying. And I'm not saying to diminish your suffering and go, oh, it's not that big of a deal. That's not what he's saying either. You may be going through things that are really, really hard and they are a big deal and God cares. And he knows your suffering and he's with you in your suffering. But how can he say you rejoice through it? And how can he then say that when you rejoice through it, that in your suffering and in your sorrow, it can even increase your joy? How is that possible? I want you to think about this with me for just a second, because if we don't do that, if we say it's just he'll get us past it and then we can rejoice, or then our joy will return once that thing has passed, then your joy is rooted in circumstance. In fact, I would say to you, when your hope is not a biblical hope, ultimately your joy is a circumstance. You're placing your joy in something that's going away. And it's going to ebb and flow and it's going to be up and down and it's going to be all over the place. And so your joy ends up being a circumstance. And it's only through those things, but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying we can have real joy in the midst of our sorrow. So how does that happen? And so when we put our hope in the temporal. It's a dying hope. We put it in the things of this world. Which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with the things of this world bringing you joy, right? You you love your family. You love your children. You love your job. You're good at what you do, and that brings you joy. That's great. But that can't be the ultimate source of your joy. Those things will go away, right? That's where idolatry comes in. When you care more about the created thing over the creator, It's good to love created things that are good that God's given us, but they need to take their proper place. And as soon as they don't, then we've put our hope in something that can't do what we're hoping it's going to do. And so when the temporal is in disarray, or maybe it's taken, maybe it's gone, and you no longer have it, what happens, though, is it shines a light on where real joy is found. It reveals the temporal for being temporal, You come face to face with this is not the thing that can hold my joy. It gets revealed in that moment. And when that happens, you look to Jesus and he's still the same. And he can withstand and he can hold it and he's still there. When everything else starts to go away, he's not, he remains unchanged and unfading and he's still there in the midst of all of it. And so sorrow can actually increase your joy. You may go, that sounds rough. Sorrow increases your joy? But look at what it says here. Go back to verse six in the middle. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result In praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what happens to the gold in the fire? He uses that analogy there. It it refines it. This is what you do with gold. They'd take it and they'd heat it up, and the impurities would come out and they'd separate it out and it would refine it. And so the analogy he's using here is the trials in your life is the fire. And what happens in the fire is all the things start to get burned up, but the thing that remains shines more brightly. Everything else starts to fall away, but God shines more brightly in the midst of this. And so when you have a living hope that is in Jesus, it's not based on circumstances. And when everything else falls away, he's still there and he shines more brightly. And so when things get harder, it drives you to Jesus because he's the one that's still there. And in the midst of that, it drives you deeper into where you will find true joy. The only place that you can find the fullness of joy that you were created for. The only place where your hope will not fail. That's a living hope. And so as those things start to get stripped away and it gets harder, it drives you more and more into your joy. The delusion of the temporal providing what only God can provide you starts to evaporate and that's hard not making light of that when that happens it's really really hard but jesus shines brightly in the middle of that and that's what god's word says that's what he's telling us here you know i believe that and i know it's true and god's word says it but i also know it from experience maybe you do I can look back on some of the most difficult times in my life, the hardest seasons, and there's a sweetness to it in a way because of the joy of the Lord in the midst of that. I think of that in lost pregnancies. Some of the sweetest times with the Lord were in the midst of hearing there's no heartbeat in this baby. I remember that very vividly probably the hardest time in my own life personally. My brother Jed died in a car wreck 16 years ago. He was 29 years old. Jed was 15 months younger than me, right? So so my baby brother, that we were one grade apart who did everything together. And Jed died in a car wreck one night down in Johns Creek, riding with a friend that was driving recklessly and a lot of stupid things going on and he was thrown from the car and he died 29 years old and i still vividly remember the saturday morning he died early saturday morning at 10 o'clock in the morning my mom called to tell me that jeb was dead i remember sitting there and my legs were shaking and i couldn't get them to stop shaking i was looking at my legs going why are they shaking like this And it was so hard and it was so sad and it was tragic and it was heartbreaking. And all of those things are true and it was really, really difficult. But I don't know how to articulate this, but at the same time, it was so filled with joy. I remember Monday morning, Jed died on Saturday. I remember Monday morning at four o'clock in the morning, sitting on my front porch, reading the book of Job. And I finished as kids were coming out to get the bus. Things you remember. And there's kids on the corner waiting for the bus. And I got to the end. And God is saying to Job, where were you when I created everything? Everything. And Job says, I uttered things that are too wonderful for me that I can't understand. And I went, yes, thank you, God. And he was so near. And he was so real. And he was so present. And I wasn't happy. Not in the circumstances of my life. It was awful. It was terrible to think about. I got to get up and go to the funeral home and Get ready for this funeral for my baby brother. But God was real. And he was there and he was present. And there was a joy even in the midst of those moments. And so when he tells us here that we can rejoice in our suffering, it's true. If we have a living hope that is rooted and grounded in who he is, and what he's done for us, and we understand the fullness of what he's accomplished and the way he's working, we can have a joy even in the midst of the suffering. We look to him and we see his love for us and we push deeper into it because everything else is evaporating and he stands the same. And not only does he stand the same, there's these promises that he gives us and he tells us that amplifies his love for us. And we see it. It's even right here in this text. You may have missed this. I i, I'm ashamed, I shouldn't say ashamed. I'm thankful that I saw it this week, reading different things, being pointed out to me. I've read this passage, I don't know, hundreds of times. And I never saw it quite the way I saw it this week. In verse 7, go back again to verse 6, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that, verse 7, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing I never saw before. Maybe you saw this and you go, yeah, you're slow. Welcome to where we've already been but I hadn't seen this. In the second half of verse seven, it says you go through these trials and you go through these things and there's a tested genuineness of your faith in those trials, right? The other things evaporate and Jesus becomes more clear and you're clinging to him in the middle of it. And then he says though at the end of verse seven that it may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing I hadn't seen before. The language that's used there The praise and the glory and the honor. Do you know who it's talking about? It's talking about us. That you're going to get praise and glory and honor at the revealing of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean Jesus isn't going to get praise and glory. He is. And he's ultimately going to get the fullness of it. And we're going to see all of that. But what it says here is that you're going to get praise and glory and honor. And I go, what? How does that work? How is that possible? And the answer is that when you put your faith in Jesus, and he's done for you what you could never do for yourself, and you transfer your trust to him, he clothes you in his righteousness. That God sees you as he sees Jesus, in the fullness of his righteousness, in the fullness of his glory. And I never noticed it in 1 Peter. I'd seen it in Hebrews 2, because it says the same thing in Hebrews 2, but I'd never seen it here. Hebrews 2, it says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. All right, So Jesus has made us perfect through his suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified all have one source. So we're all saved the same way through what God is doing for us in Jesus. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. I still don't fully get that. (laughs) That Jesus is going to stand you up in the midst of it and say, here's my brother. And he did all of it, right? The only righteousness I have is because of what he's done. But he's going to stand you up as your perfect older brother and sing your praises. What? That God's promises are so amazing that he clothes you in his righteousness, that it's all his doing and then he heaps praise on you for something that you didn't do. And I believe in that moment, you're going to know he did it all. And you're going to recognize how glorious he is and how wonderful his praise is. You're going to recognize that you just want to fall at his feet and praise his name. I think all of that is true. But I get overwhelmed with God's love for us that he's going to do that. And so when you go through difficult times i want you to be reminded that that's how much god loves you that that's how much he cares for you that that's how he's working in your life you know in psalm 56 8 it says you have kept track of my every toss and turn through sleepless nights Each tear entered into your ledger, each ache written in your book. You know, that's true. That everything that you go through in this life that you're wrestling and struggling with, that God knows every bit of it, keeps your tears in a bottle. I'm going to have a bigger bottle than some of (laughs) you. But that that's how much he loves you. Or 2 Corinthians 4, when it says, This light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Remember, that's Apostle Paul writing. Light and momentary affliction. Being beaten within inches of your life multiple times. That, Paul? He says, that's light and momentary compared to what's coming. Or Romans 8. When it says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. And so when we see who Jesus is and we see the way he's working and we see his great love for us, we can rejoice in our suffering. In the things that we're going through. Because of how good he is, because of how great his love is. And remember, in all these things, all these trials and suffering, notice here it says, verse 7 that the tested or verse 6 If in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials if necessary go back to what we talked about the last couple of weeks he's chosen you before the foundation of the world he set his love and affection on you he foreloved you in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus for the sprinkling of his blood So that means all the things that come in your life are necessary. And he's using them for your sanctification. And in the end, you're going to see how he used them. And you're going to see how they come together. He works together all those things for good for those called according to his purposes. And you're going to see how they all come together. And you're going to see his great love for you in the midst of it. And when you understand that, you can rejoice in the suffering and in the things you're going through. I told you about Jed dying, my brother Jed. And I have spots of memory of different things that happened right after that. But Jed died in a car wreck because of a friend driving recklessly and stupidity. That's why I ended up dying. And the guy that was driving after a long time and through the system and whatever, got probation and then had to do community service. And so they asked our family, well, what would you like for him to do for community service? And we all agreed we'd like for him to work at a Christian camp that Jed used to work at. Could he go there and do his community service there? And they said, sure, that's great. And one of Jed's friends worked there. We asked him and he said, great, send him." He's like, one thing I can tell you is, I'll spend the next few weeks with him and he will hear the gospel over and over again. And so I remember a very vivid conversation with my brother, Jeremiah, and he said, are you okay with this? Doesn't completely feel like justice, but you okay with this? And I said, yeah, I'm okay with this. I'm not angry. I'm not spiteful for this guy. And I said, are you to my brother? Are you okay with it? And Jeremiah said, yeah. And the way he described it, I'll never forget. He said, you know, if we lose Jed for 40 or 50 years that we would have had with him on this earth. And God saw fit to take him at 29 years old. And in so doing, this guy that was driving the car becomes a believer. Or some of the people that came to that funeral and heard about Jed's life and how he loved the Lord. If they become a believer, he's like, when we stand together, in eternity in the fullness of glory with Jed and maybe that guy driving the car and maybe somebody else, he said, we're going to rejoice that God is good and that he has a plan and that he's using these difficult things for his glory even when we can't see it. And I remember him saying that and going, yeah, okay, can't argue with that. That God is good even in the midst of those times. And so I'll tell you two things that I noticed this week that I hadn't seen before. The first is Jed died on uh, August 18th, 818. That's burned in my mind forever, right? It was the day Jed died. And each year I remember, I go sit down by where it was and read a book that I put together memories of, but it's just there. And I never noticed until yesterday as I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about Jed and the things that went with it, that Romans 8, 1, 8, is I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to (laughs) us. I read that and went, okay, God, I get it. (laughs) He's done that so many times in the midst of those difficult seasons where he kind of taps you on the shoulder and goes, hey, it's right there. And you go, okay. And the second thing I'll tell you, and I really didn't plan this, as I, I figured out First Peter and laid out the weeks and all this stuff, and week three is God present in our sufferings. And then yesterday it dawned on me that today would have been Jed's 46th birthday. February 25th was Jed's birthday. And so I didn't plan that either, but again, God just goes, hey, I'm still at work in this, and I've got you in the midst of it. But the last thing, and we'll end here today, is you may say, yes, I believe in God's promises. Yes, I know he's at work. I know those things. I know all things will work together, but right now it's really hard. And I don't feel the joy. I don't feel like rejoicing in the midst of the difficult things I'm going through. And so what do we do in the midst of that? And so look at what he says here in verse eight. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him, talking about Jesus. Though you do not Now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so I want you to think about what he says there. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And if you've put your faith in Jesus and you're in the midst of one of those seasons, I would just say to you, turn your gaze and focus on who Jesus is the great promises that he gives us, he's gonna stand you up as his brother or sister and sing your praises over what he's done for you, that he is gonna work all these things together, that he loves you so much that he is invested in every single struggle and tear and tossing and turning of your life, and he knows everyone. And as you focus on him, the spirit comes, because that's what the spirit does, and it glorifies Jesus. The Holy Spirit moves in you and points you to him and shows you his glory to the point where you can rejoice in the midst of your suffering. And I don't mean to demean or belittle the things you're going through because they're still hard and they're still difficult. And they're not easy, but you can have the joy of the Lord even in the midst of those times. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you know our sufferings. You know the things that we're dealing with, that we're going through, that we're wrestling with. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have wonderful promises. We thank you that you are at work to bring all these things to their final fulfillment. And so I pray right now for those that are here today that, that are having a hard time seeing how those connect, how those promises connect with their specific certain situation right now, would you overwhelm them with your glory? Would you be so real and near to them right now that they can rest in you even in the midst of difficult times, that they can have the fullness of joy that you offer us because of the living hope, because of the confident assurance we have in what is to come in you and who you are and what it means for us? We thank you that we can trust you in all seasons and in all things, and we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.